tired of tracking your calories and points? Are you sick of feeling crappy in your body or in your clothes? Are you drowning in constant food and body thoughts? Do you feel like you're always negotiating exercise and food with yourself? If any of these sound familiar, you aren't alone. And the Diet Riders membership is the perfect place for you to learn how to drop dieting, pick back up your life, reclaim your thoughts, and your health. Join now by clicking the link in the description box below to get support and guidance along other women in this community. Hey, 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 welcome back to the Diet Right Podcast. I'm Alyssa Miller. And I'm Brooke Miller, and we're both dietitians. Both mamas. Both from the Midwest. Both live in Denver. And it is quarantine still. It's COVID (laughs) still. Um, But we have a special guest. Yay. We're going to talk all about eating disorders today. And Christy is here. Christy, if you want to introduce yourself, um, maybe share a little bit of how you got into working with eating disorders. And then we're actually going to dive in to just some signs or symptoms that maybe you or a loved one might be struggling with an eating disorder and how we can best support them on their journey. And so Christy, take it away. Yeah, so thanks for having me. It's so good to be with you guys. My name is Christy Dondero Betway, and I am the executive director for Rock Recovery, which is a nonprofit in the Washington, D.C. area that bridges gaps for people who are experiencing eating disorders and helps people live full and free lives. And I do this work and got into this work. I'm not like you guys. I don't have fancy letters behind <laughs> my name. I am not a clinician. I feel so left out with all of my lovely colleagues. So but I well. am re- yeah, all the FOMO from all the letters. I have those letters at least. And so <laughs> that's something, right? And uh, but I've been recovered now for over a decade. And so I love being a part of this work. I love helping other people experience freedom and recovery and just love getting to talk to people about how there's there's better, fuller, freer life out there apart from disordered eating and chronic dieting and all the rest. So that is why I'm here. Sounds fancy letters, but definitely with some of my own story. I love that so much. I think we need more story, you know, and and really, truly just knowing what it can look like. Because so many times I remember thinking like, no, this is normal. This Mm -hmm. is normal. These thoughts are normal. These feelings are normal. This diet's normal. This whatever's normal. And when you hear it from someone who's been there and gone through it, and congratulations on recovery, by the way, and comes to this other side of you're like, oh, there is a fuller life out there that I could be living that's not trapped Mm -hmm. by food thoughts. So yeah, I'd love to, we kind of talked about maybe starting this episode, going into some signs and symptoms you can you can point to or look for in loved ones but also yourself yes. if you're struggling so could you maybe dive into those a little bit or maybe what you experience too yeah absolutely and just like everyone's recovery story is different you know everywhere all little unique snowflakes aren't we so everyone's <laughs> so story is different everyone's struggle is also different in a way right but there's there's often some commonalities and some things that are shared across experiences And so one thing that I feel like is true is that while you can definitely hide an eating disorder, there are certain signs and symptoms you can still look for. So even though this is something that really thrives in isolation, thrives in secrecy, there are sort of those things that the little antenna can go up when you start to see certain behaviors in yourself or people that you love. And that can be a good indication that something's going on. And one thing I know you guys talk about this all the time too, but of course, anyone can struggle with an eating disorder or disordered eating as well, no matter body shape, size, background, all the things, right? This is something that unfortunately does not discriminate. And so it's helpful to just remember that while everyone's story is unique, everyone's body is unique. And that's kind of a a big part of what makes people miss 
disordered eating behavior sometimes is that they think, oh, I'm not this cookie cutter thing. I don't have this weight or these things. I must be fine. And that's just mm. not true, unfortunately. Mm. Yeah. Well, and I think um, I had a friend in high school struggling with bulimia nervosa and she was in just a regular, normal, healthy looking size body. And so I think a lot of people just kind of missed it and assumed that it was fine. Um, and I just knew oh, it's just a phase. Yeah. 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 And mm-hmm. I, and I think for me as a, as a, like a friend, I had no idea how to support her, how to help her. I literally, I knew nothing in high school about this. And so I think just knowing like how to spot the symptoms, how to talk to loved ones, how to, even if you feel like, Ooh, I feel like maybe I had some disordered eating patterns. And now this is kind of on the verge of an eating disorder. Like I would love to hear just where to turn, what questions to ask and like how to best support somebody who's like really starting to pick up on signals of these red flags of like, Hey, something's a little off. Something's maybe getting pushed, uh, from disordered eating really down to an eating disorder. Yeah. So I think change is often an immediate trigger for a lot of people. Right. So either change in circumstance or change in behavior are two things to be able to look out for. So again, anyone of any weight can struggle with an eating disorder and occasionally a change in weight, whether gain or loss can sometimes be a sign, right? Mm -hmm. Like you said, you can be in a healthy quote unquote size body and have really unhealthy behaviors going on. But if suddenly there's a shift in body weight, that's, sometimes an indicator something's going on apart from you know medical conditions or puberty for adolescents but there's that's definitely something to look for and then of course changes in life so I mean talk about the the biggest change many of us have gone through which was what 12 13 months ago with COVID mm-hmm. I mean that sort of change has been brought up a lot of eating disorders for people that maybe had been better or hadn't really struggled before and suddenly there's this huge change in environment change in support system change in behavior like everything yes. sort of changed and became really small so oftentimes you know someone going to college someone losing a loved one those kinds of big life events or big grief things becoming an empty nester those sorts of events are often what triggers an eating disorder for somebody to develop there may have been things under the surface or some things brewing but often there is an event that can trigger it for people and then of course other things to look for are just people how people act around food i remember kind of like we all were saying I was in a sorority in college. I'm a recovering sorority girl. Ah. I like to say no, no regrets. <laughs> loved it. Um, and, and I think well, unfortunately, a lot of my friends, we all had kind of disordered patterns, but yeah. when you look to your right and look to your left, we're like, oh, but we all do this. Mm-hmm. So like I'm quote unquote normal because it's common. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's important to realize because something is common doesn't mean it's healthy yes. or okay. Yeah. And so noticing how people show up around food, are they checking other people's food? Are they anxious about what's on their plate? Are they kind of calling food good and bad or or labeling certain things or saying, oh, I really want that, but I'm going to have this instead or feeling anxiety about what they're eating. Do they leave a lot of food on their plate? Do they leave immediately after eating, right? Like there are some behaviors and things that do show up around mealtime uniquely. That can be something to look for as well. Yeah. And and just important here too, that this is for disordered eating and eating disorder. So we can start to see this disordered eating that eventually can snowball into a full blown eating disorder. So, um, these are important things to look out for in others, but also in ourselves. And I absolutely Mm -hmm. love what you said there about just because it's common, doesn't make it normal or okay or healthy, um, because it is so common, right? That's why what we, we do what we do, Mm -hmm. right. Is because we're like, Hey, this is way too common and it shouldn't be. It's not, it's not really the norm. 
Um, I'd love for you to share with us. So when you were in the throes of it, what was it that kind of made you turn your head and say, hey, maybe this isn't right and maybe I should seek some help or or work on this? Um, Was there like a big moment or did it just kind of come up over time? What did that look like for you? Well, it's interesting. I think there were probably little layers being removed that I didn't necessarily see at the time and little pieces coming up for me. But I think once the disordered pattern stopped working and by working, I mean, I, I felt like I, the things I used to be able to control, I couldn't control anymore. Mm -hmm. I struggled with both anorexia and bulimia and really binge eating disorder. I kind of went across all three different eating disorders and I felt like when I felt more in control, I didn't think it was a problem. But then when I felt out of control, mm. I thought that it was suddenly a problem, right? So oh, totally. there were pieces of that for me that that came up. And my eating disorder too started as a diet. So kind of to your point about disordered eating, I, I didn't realize that that snowballed so dramatically, you know, just suddenly being afraid of food and cutting certain, cutting lots of things out and feeling like I was, my day was ruined if there was this number on the scale or this many calories I consumed, right? Like it was a a very number driven existence for me for a really long time. Mm -hmm. And so I think eventually I I kind of, I kind of knew I was miserable because of these things, but I thought I was miserable because I wasn't doing it right. Mm. Like I thought I was miserable because I wasn't, I didn't have the right willpower or I didn't like, and then eventually I guess over time, you know, the whole idea of being sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yes. Real life right there. So when I graduated from college, I had a friend who passed away from cancer and just like talk about, you know, big life change, grief, all these big things and things really did get worse for me in that season. And I think I I started having bad anxiety attacks and that was enough to scare me because there was a physical thing happening that I couldn't control apart from food or exercise. Mm And I, and I kind of was like, well, this isn't normal. And so I, I, I did seek therapy at the time. I didn't really stick with it, unfortunately, but I initially kind of thought it out a little bit. So then there were kind of seasons and a few months went by after that. And I actually kind of, I joke, I got tricked into recovery. So I, um, I <laughs> you know, cause why not? Why not? So I actually met a really cute boy at a bar one night who asked me to go to his church. And I was not a person of faith, didn't really have a lot of interest in church but I had a lot of interesting cute boys at bars. And so I said, yes, I will go to a church with you. And there was a program for people with eating disorders being run at this church. Ours has that too. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh Mm Uh-huh. Yeah. So cool. So it was super, like, it feels like I got tricked twice. I like to say, I'm like, got tricked you twice. Um, (laughs) So I went to this, this church and they, they were lovely people, really kind. And I was really struggling and feeling depressed. And so there was this idea of hope now for me and joy. I was like, these people, like, maybe they're, maybe they're legit. Maybe there is something to this whole thing. And then there's this program called New AD that I actually, we now run at Rock Recovery that was being run at this church for 15 years ago. And the whole point is that complete freedom from eating disorders is possible and you should come try this course. It was super affordable. It was six weeks long. And I was like, okay, fine. I guess I can take six weeks of my life to get better. Like surely that'll work just fine. Yeah. I know. Oh, this sweet Christy, <laughs> sweet 23 year old who thought she'd get better in six weeks. And so, uh, yeah. But it sounded appealing enough sure. that I was like, well, yeah. freedom sounds interesting. I don't think a woman can even live that way, but let's, I mean, like, why not? What do I have to lose? Right. Yeah. And then promise, I went to this yeah. course. Yeah, big problem. Yeah. And I went to the course in the first week, the whole, the, there's a teaching and a discussion and then support group and um, a testimonial shared every week at this course. And the woman who shared, shared her story, said she's been free, talked about what the eating disorders were, what they looked like. And I was sort of, as she was going through the signs and symptoms, I was thinking in my head, like, check, check, check. 
check, mm-hmm. check, like, uh, expletive, check, check, check. <laughs> I'm like, this is like a whole thing. Um, and so I, I kind of, I didn't realize I had an eating disorder until it was sort of put in front of me. You know, mm-hmm. I, once someone kind of gave me the things to look for, I, I really identified with them, but I hadn't self-identified prior to that. Mm. So that course was a real eye-opener for me, and that was what started my recovery journey. I started working with an outpatient team from there with a therapist and dietitian and did seek treatment pretty immediately because once once I realized I have a problem, I'm like, all I'm very all or nothing. I was all in. Yeah. Like, I was ready. But there was some ambivalence, I think, leading up to that. Oh, that's sure. amazing. And how, just like, if you can share too with anybody who's struggling with an eating disorder or share with anybody who's struggling from just disordered eating, like, how is your life changed since then? Like Mm -hmm. how has your relationship with food like and body, how has that changed your entire life in terms of like your relationships, your work life? Like I would just love to see and hear how it's like changed so many other aspects of your life. Yeah. You know, I mean, it has changed so much and I'm still me. Right. Which is what's so annoying. You're like, Oh, I still am kind of controlling, even though I don't control food anymore. <laughs> like I still struggle with so many of the same things. Yeah. Right. And I think what, what's really changed though, is just that the grip has been loosened. Mm. And I love the idea of not shaming ourselves for our former maladaptive coping things that we try to do. Cause you know, I think of it like my little, the binky you have when you're a kid, right? Like it gets you through some hard stuff, mm-hmm, like, but there yeah. comes a point where like, it smells kind of bad. It's kind of ratty. Like you're kind of embarrassed to get out of your house, right? Like your mom's like, really keep that thing in the car, you know, like <laughs> it's time to move on. And I feel like for me, my eating disorder was that, like it got me through some hard things, but as I started to take more steps into freedom and self-realization and kind of some of these things, I realized oh, this isn't serving me. This yeah. isn't actually getting me where I want to go, right? This mm-hmm. isn't freedom. This is captivity. And so I think what's great is that now I can just have that headspace back. I have the ability to love my body, even though it's changed, you know, when I got, I got married four years ago and I was at one of my highest weights ever. I think, you know, I don't weigh myself, but I, the doctor does. And occasionally they yeah. tell you things. And <laughs> yeah. I just remember thinking like the day of my wedding, you know, everyone of course is like, oh, you're so beautiful. You're the best bride. And I was just like, I know I am so beautiful. I am the prettiest bride. You're totally right. But if you had told me, you know, 15 mm-hmm. years prior when I was sick, like you're going to get married at this weight, I'd be like, I'd rather not get married at all. Like yeah. I'm not getting married if I weigh that. Like I'm not, people cannot look at me. I cannot yeah. walk down the aisle. Right. So there's just been this self-acceptance and this freedom and ability to be who I was created to be and to like eat the hamburger, eat the salad, do the things right. Like there's just such a, a power that is lost on food because it no longer makes me feel like I'm a failure or a, a victorious person. Right. So there's just this freedom. Freedom is a word we always talk about because it's just, it's what recovery really is in a lot of ways. And it's freedom to be present and to not compare and not just sort of feel the need to constantly control. Yeah. It, that is such a, it, oh gosh, you build such a beautiful picture of it. Um, you're so eloquent. You should for sure have a podcast, <laughs> but I feel like, <laughs> <Okay>. thank you. <laughs> honestly, it's like, it's so freeing. And when we talk about the mental space is always what gets me because I'm like, I knew everything else would kind of like change or whatever, but I, I didn't realize how much of my time and energy mentally internally that no one could see was, 
wrapped up and tied into thoughts and feelings around food. And I, I get this from so many people when they ask me like mm-hmm. what I do or what my podcast about or whatever I tell them. And then I kind of share with them what intuitive eating is and food freedom and all this stuff. And they're like, Oh yeah, I do that. And I'm like, Oh, last week you tried me to get, you tried to get me to do keto. Like, like, you know, <laughs> but they don't even realize it. So it is this level of like, I loved how you painted a picture of like, well, this is how it turned. But before that, the layers were coming off because the layers really do need to come off. And Brooke and I talk about this all the time. People are probably sick of hearing me talk about it, but it's mm-hmm. this like onion theory, right? Of like getting mm-hmm. down to the root of it. You can't just do it in a day. You can't do it in six weeks. I wish you could. I wish you could. I, may, I mean, maybe there are some people that can, but you know, typically it takes time and energy. And you, once you take off one layer, another layer presents itself where you're like, I didn't even know it was under there. I didn't even know it was there. I, you know, and it, it's, it's that whole idea of like looking at yourself in the mirror going, okay, that's real. This is happening. Um, so, so many good analogies there. I just love that so much. Um, I did want to ask you a question if you have any tips for this, because I think this is a big question that we get from our members specifically too. Um, so I'd love to see how you answer it is like how to undo the mental, like counting and tracking. Mm, like, yes. I don't know if that's a great question, you know, cause it's like, we can tell you to turn off your phone. Don't wear your Apple watch. Don't write it down, whatever. But there is like, this is kind of what Brooke and I talk about as being RDs. Yes. It's a beautiful career. We absolutely love being at our RDs, but the education to get here is triggering for a lot of us mm, to yeah. go into disordered eating. And you you have to unlearn a lot of what you paid mm-hmm. thousands of dollars to <laughs> learn. And it's hard to unlearn stuff, right? So uh, do you have any tips or tricks of how that kind of happened for you? And granted, we all know it does take time, but uh, any yeah. tips on that? I do. And one thing I will say, the redemption of having counted calories for over a decade is I am super good at doing math in my head. Yes. My old roommate, yeah. she would like just say numbers to me sometimes and see if I could do it. And I was like, you know, there is redemption here. Okay. So like it wastes a lot of energy, but like I'm real quick at math on my head. So that's a good, that's the good news, guys. That's amazing. It was good. But yeah, I remember sitting with my therapist who was just delightful. Her name's Melissa. And she would always say, she helped me with compassion and grace. And she's like, you know, let's be fair. Like, it's hard to unlearn these things and just be patient. And I remember being like, you are a liar, Melissa. Like, I will never not count calories because I just knew what was in everything. Like, you can't unlearn what you know, right? Like, it's hard to undo what you know. And I remember the first time it had been, I think I, I was like, how many calories did I eat today? And I kind of thought for the first time. And then I was like, wait, I don't know. I was like, how many calories did I eat yesterday? I was like, wait, I don't know. And, mm. you know, slowly it happened. I didn't necessarily see it coming, but over time that went away. And one of the best tricks she gave me was, you know, be that annoying, be that annoying younger brother you never had. <laughs> like when you start thinking of a number, like a hundred, think of like 2,222, like think Throw of other numbers. Off. Oh my gosh. Throw your brain off. That's a it was so helpful because it made me like get a different number in my brain and it made me think of my therapist who I love. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, I'm going to make Melissa proud and I'm going to do the things and like this is what I'm going to work on. So it was so really effective. helpful yeah. to get different numbers in my brain and to think about something else, like mm. right to kind of replace it with something else, mm. um, which it was hard. I started thinking about, I don't know, I'm a chronically late person, unfortunately, but I was like, okay, I'll budget my time for the morning or I'll think, like I just kind of started to distract mm. myself with something else that was tangible mm. until I could kind of move on from the thought. I love that redirect. And we, mm-hmm. we talk to us about our members or to, to our members a lot of flexing that muscle, right? Mm-hmm. Like you get better at it with time. So if you, if you try to train yourself to say, okay, I'm going to redirect, I'm going to confuse myself. I'm going to distract myself mm-hmm. when those thoughts are coming, because there's no way to stop these thoughts from coming in, but there is a way 
way to decide if that, if that thought gets to hold space in your brain. So it comes in, you get to decide what I'm going to do with that thought. I'm going to replace it with this, redirect, confuse myself, talk about my time management, whatever. And eventually it's going to be second nature for you to do that. You're not going to spend so much time with those initial numbers and eventually they won't even come in. Um, so I absolutely love that advice. And, and I just want to say to, uh, Christy, just so, I love the amount of compassion and grace you have for yourself, even looking back at yourself of where you were and talking about truly that that is so accurate that those coping mechanisms, even though we know, quote unquote, better now, they did help us. They helped us through something. And that is something I struggle with still of like my anxiety where I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is so frustrating. Last night I had I I get like nighttime anxiety. So Mm -hmm. right before I'm about to fall asleep, I'm like oh my gosh, I'm dying, you know, and literally just in those like two minutes of half asleep. And I know that a million people suffer with this too. And I have such a hard time thanking my anxiety because it really is something that your body is using to cope until we heal to a different place. And that's that stepping stone, right? Like we don't see the next step. We just need to get to this next step first. And I just really love and appreciate how much grace you have with yourself, even looking back to when you were in the throes of it and saying, of course I was, this, this was hard on me. And I still have these tendencies to control things. And it got me through a lot of really hard stuff. But now what a beautiful story on the other end to say, here's where I am now. And without that pain and adversity, you wouldn't be where you are today, being able to share your story. So that is really incredible. And I just thank you for all you're doing and spreading the message. Um, can you talk a little bit about what you do at, um, you said rock, say it again. I forgot. Rock Rock, recovery. I was going to say rock bottom recovery. And I was like, that's a restaurant. That's (laughs) not it. No. And hopefully not everyone has to get to rock bottom before they come to recovery, yes, right? Yes, so, you know. <laughs> yeah, so rock recovery. We, we're trying to like just be like the one word, like share. We want to just be rock one day. So like we're going to try to just go by rock, you know, like who needs another name besides just rock. But yeah, so we are a nonprofit, like I mentioned, that helps people find freedom from disordered eating and body image issues. And our unique spot is to help people who need support in the outpatient space. So people who are either transitioning down from a higher level of care or who are working with an outpatient team, a clinician, like a dietitian, a therapist, but want some more support, want some group support. So we do a lot of really neat clinical programs that are group meals and group therapy for body image. Right now it's all virtual. So we're able to offer these programs to people who live in California, Maryland, DC, and Virginia, and hoping to continue to grow, even though things are virtual, you know, licensure laws and all the fun things we get to deal with. Um, So that's our clinical programs and all of our programs are offered at sliding scale. So cost is never a barrier to care because insurance coverage, as we know, is a flawed system often. Oh yes. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, you know, it's hard enough to want to get better. And that's what really led me to the work at Rock Recovery is once I recovered, my parents are lovely. They um, were super supportive through my recovery. Initially, I think they kind of struggled because my sister had anorexia as well. And I think it was hard for them to have two daughters who struggled, but they were mm-hmm. so good about jumping in and really supporting me. And they're two of our biggest cheerleaders now and biggest supporters. But they, you know, put money into my account for my treatment. I was making so little money at my first job out of college and I could not have afforded it. And mm-hmm. once I got better, I remember thinking like, what do people do who's don't have income or whose parents can't just quietly put money into their account for treatment or who, right. Like who don't have these access, same access that I had. And so that's why I was really passionate about the work that we do here at rock is that, you know, we get to, it's hard enough to want to get better. And then if you're told you can't afford the treatment, that's just really so So, hard. Yeah. 
Yeah, so we do all sliding scale services. Um, and then we also do faith-based support groups for people who do want to integrate faith or spirituality into their recovery. We offer some really cool nationwide offerings that are courses, curriculums, and just kind of ongoing support groups to give people a safe space to kind of be with like-minded people and, and process through that journey together. That's amazing. Yay. Well, thank you for everything you do. Oh, so good. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's a joy and we work with the best people. I mean, I have the greatest colleagues and just the greatest clients that we get to see really kind of come back to life. Right. So it's a really, it's a really great joy to do this work. And I love that uh, Brooke and I talk a lot on this podcast as well about our faith and how that plays a role in our relationship with food and body and all these things. And I love that you take that angle as well for the people that want it, you know, because of course there's people out there that don't need that or don't want that. And so um, I just think that's really cool. Maybe you can share a little bit more about that and the connection you see. Um, Brooke and I have shared a little bit here on this podcast about it, but um, I'd love for you to maybe, if you're comfortable (laughs) sharing at all about how you see those two playing um, a role together. Yeah, well, I'm actually, I'm, so I'm married to a pastor, so it's hilarious, oh, and I'm yay. like, yeah, <laughs> and like my friends who knew me in college, they're like, really married to a pastor? So does he know It's kind of hilarious what, you know, uh-huh. you just never know, yeah, he knows, oh, doesn't he know everything? Um, so, but we always joke, when like, we're such a hit at dinner parties, and people, you know, when we had dinner parties, and people ask what we do for a living, I'm like, oh, I work with eating disorders, he's like, I'm a pastor, and people are either really interested, or like immediately run away from us, uh-huh. <laughs> so, yeah. definitely something to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I think for me, you know, I grew up kind of quasi Catholic, but didn't really have a strong attachment to my faith and didn't really, I don't know, didn't feel personal, didn't feel relational to me. And when I went through recovery, you know, you really do kind of come to the end of yourself. And so personally, I really came to faith through my recovery journey. It wasn't pushed on me. My poor parents, I think, did kind of think I joined a cult initially because I was like real jazz. You know, like when mm-hmm. you're like a new convert, you're, you're real jazz. Yeah, 100% so, you are. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Oh man. Oh, my poor friend. Um, all the Bible verses I posted on Facebook, probably back in those early days, but, um, it was good. So I think for me, it was so helpful to have this idea of identity and worth that wasn't earned. It wasn't performance driven. It was this grace. Like you talked about grace earlier. It's like, it was this grace that was given to me. And so faith for me was super instrumental in kind of having that, that peace and, and that grace for myself and for other people. And of course, you know, at Rock too, we serve people of all backgrounds and beliefs. It's not something we ever demand of anybody or require of anybody to work with us. But there is this beauty and magic that kind of happens when you do put together, we always say the science and the Jesus is like the clinical and the, and the spiritual, because Absolutely. that's we're, we're whole people, body, you know, my body, mind, and spirit. And mm-hmm. so there's something really beautiful to bring that together. So for me, it was instrumental and it's cool for our clients. I mean, we have a lot of clients who are really strong in their faith, but haven't once prayed about their eating disorder because they didn't, mm-hmm. they, they feel shame. They feel like it's a sin. They feel like they don't know what's wrong with them and to help them show up and, and go to God for, for help and, and out of love is such a different experience for them. Absolutely. Yeah. I lived those lives so separately for a long time. Mm-hmm. Like I had my faith life, you know, and then I had this whole like disordered eating and disordered thoughts about my body. And it took me so long to connect the, the, the two. And once I did, it was just like this huge explosion in my journey of with food, because I was like, 
oh, of course he didn't put food on this earth to make me feel guilt and shame. Mm-hmm. Of course he doesn't want me to sit around and talk negatively about my body. Like, is that really what he wants for me? And how can I lean into how he sees me and exactly my mm-hmm. worth and value in him um, and comes from him alone? And I love that, that we don't earn it. What a great parallel to the food freedom, whether you are religious or anything at all, just this idea of not having to earn being good, right? And we can, we can relate to that around food and saying, no, 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 you're not good because you ate this and didn't eat that. <laughs> you are good because you are whole, you are human and you deserve that period, end of story. And so when we start to relate or call ourselves good or bad based on the foods that we're eating, we're making all sorts of assumptions and putting our worth in things that really truly aren't um, real and tangible. And, and by the way, change every few years, right? And this is something that comes up with our members every time. And everyone laughs whenever I talk about it because they know exactly where I'm going. Because so many times in our membership, one girl's like, I never let myself eat granola because it was so unhealthy. And another woman will come on and be like, what? I only ate granola because I thought it was so healthy. So it's like, it's just this proof of the fact that we are all taught different things and whatever we hold on to from diet culture and from what the world has taught us about food is to intentionally confuse us, to intentionally um, make us question ourselves and our worth, to put us in a vulnerable state mm-hmm. so they can sell us something, right? And I just love how empowering and encouraging you are. And it comes through 10 times to your personality. So thank you for all the work you're doing. Um, thank you so much for coming on our podcast. I would love for you to let our listeners know where they can find you or any last parting words um, before we uh, wrap up. Sure. So you can find Rock Recovery on our website at www.rockrecoveryed.org. And then on Instagram, our handle is just Rock Recovery. On Facebook, it's Rock Recovery ED. And I think on Twitter, if that's still a thing, we're Rock Recovery. I feel like, you know, we're so much more on Instagram these days than anything else. Um, And then we have, yeah, I know, right? We have all of our programs and things on our website that are available to people nationwide. And then the ones that are, like I mentioned, the clinical programs that are just in certain states. So we've got a blog, we've got great resources and things available that we'd love to help encourage some people and just spread awareness. And we also do some really great now virtual events and different workshops and things that are available to people as well that we'd love to to plug people into this work and into this world. That's incredible. Well, thank you so much for coming on. We'll link everything down below in the show notes. So anyone who's listening, you can just tap that open and click on over to her. So thank you so much for coming on. And uh, thank you everyone for listening. We will see you later. See you later. Thank you.